Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. We got Elliot, my co-host, with us from Freelance Duck Hunting on YouTube. And our guest for tonight is Jason from Cyan Bottoms. How you doing, Jason? Good. Good. A little wet right now. Awesome. Yeah, I bet you're excited <laughs> about that, aren't you? Yep, yep. Very excited about the season right now. So it changed in about 12 hours. I went from doom and gloom to uh, I'm grabbing my decoys and getting them ready to go. <laughs> Jordan asked me that last night. He said, now, is he a duck hunter? And I said, I'm willing to bet that he is. I can't imagine having that job and not being a duck hunter. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a very avid, not just duck, but avid hunter. But uh, waterfowl has always kind of been my passion, even though my career path didn't always lead to, to waterfowl up until this point right now. But I've always been a waterfowl guy. Awesome. Definitely what we like to hear. <laughs> I would yeah. assume that your job is, is uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but somewhat would be a dream job for someone and that has your credentials. I mean, I, I can't imagine much more prestige than Shine, Shine Bottoms. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, um, a couple years ago when I kind of heard that Carl Grover, the previous manager, was retiring. I thought that I had enough experience in uh past experience that i might actually have a somewhat of a chance of landing the job but i didn't really think that i'd actually get it get it but yeah it's definitely a uh definitely a dream job that's for sure so kind of a career i'm not that old of a guy i'll be 36 in october and kind of at the point in my career where i'm kind of done so it's about as far up as i want to go and i don't think i ever want to leave unless they run me out <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't. Do you pay attention to the forums much at all? Yes, I'm oh not active. Po I'm not an active poster in the forums, but I I do follow them. Yes. You guys take some abuse, and it's particularly <laughs> one of the two forums. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to kind of take it with with stride. You know, um, some there's some misconceptions and stuff, and and us doing th things such as this. Um, We'll hopefully smooth some of those over a little bit, you know, get get some get some more information out. There's a lot of misinformation out about what goes on out here. So, well, one thing that I think both Jordan and I have learned with posting videos on YouTube is that it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to have people complain. In fact, on this podcast, we had a thumbs down before we even started it. You <laughs> <So laughs> it <was like, laughs> it just—it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, things are an expert of how to handle Cheyenne bottoms. That's for sure. Everyone's an expert. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and, and there's some truth to some of that. Uh, but you know, like I said, we're, I, I saw what you had sent out, Elliot, about what you wanted to talk about, and that's right in line with what I'd like to to talk, you know, about. And you maybe get some more information out about what we do on a day to day basis, what we're, what our limits are, and what we can and can't do. Um, you know, uh, just want people to know we really are trying out here. I mean, we, we really are. Uh, and there, there's nobody putting more pressure on the manager to get this place into duck shape than, than myself. You know, I, I grew up, you know, I'll, I'll lead into it, Elliot, if that's all right. You're talking to, sure. uh, one of the things was talking about me, you know, some of my past. Um, I grew up 25 miles from the bottoms. Uh, and my wife grew up like three miles from the bottoms. So we are from the area. Uh, I know with the potential this place it can have. My grandpa was probably one of the first people that started hunting the bottoms in the late 50s, early 60s. So um, I'm really passionate about the bottoms and I, I, I know what it can be and what I want it to be. Uh, it's not getting there fast enough, but we're, we're, we really are trying out here. So. Awesome. And before we jump right into everything, let's just, uh, you know, go ahead and let people know who you are exactly and what you do. And then um, our, our uh, audience is even, you know, wider than just Kansas. And so some of the people might not be exactly familiar with the bottom. So kind of give like a, a brief overview of that as okay. well. 
um, like I said, I grew up in Otis, which is a very small town, about 25 miles to the west of, of the bottoms. I uh, went on to get a undergrad at Fort Hayes State University in wildlife management or biology. Uh, from there, I worked as a seasonal for KDWP uh, at the time. And then I hired on, uh, similar to waterfowl, I went to West Texas in the Chihuahuan deserts and was working with desert bighorn sheep, mountain lions, black bears. <laughs> you know, it's a totally different scape from what I was used to. And, and I just loved it down there. I worked down there for eight years under three different positions. I worked as a public lands, kind of a maintenance technician guy. And then from uh, there, I hired on as a private lands district biologist in West Texas still. And then I stepped up into the lead biologist position down there. Um, but like I said, my wife grew up three miles from, from here and I'm close by. So we wanted to get back. Uh, finally, in 2013, the, uh, the time was right and uh, found the position up in Hayes. I was a private lands biologist up at Hayes. Um, I forgot in the meantime, while I was down in Texas, I also got a master's degree in natural resource management through a small school called Solroth State University. Um, and then, like I said, I moved back here in November 2013. I was a district biologist uh, for Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks and Tourism out of Hayes, uh, where, you know, doing the walk-in hunting and the private land biology work. And then, like I said, when the position came open uh, for Cheyenne Bottoms, I was chomping at the bit uh, to get back into public lands and uh i was really excited about that opportunity uh i got two girls i got a seven-year-old and a uh, 17 month old my hobbies basically are hunting fishing and trapping uh, and everything associated with those i like waterfowl is probably my biggest passion and then spring turkey hunting um i like to walleye fish a lot i like to train dogs shoot archery shoot guns um target practice a lot I said I do some trapping. I don't have the time that I used to on that. But uh, my wife thinks we're a little bit crazy between my brother and I. We we really specialize in uh, field hunting for geese, uh, and we've always done that right around the bottoms here. Uh, on any given Saturday or Sunday, my brother and I and maybe two or three of our friends are putting out a 1,200 decoy spread just about every every day of, of waterfowl season that we we can, you know, duck or goose hunting. So. That's what we really enjoy, but, you know, duck hunting over the bottoms and uh, some of the private land around here is what, what I grew up doing. So Awesome. Um, and then you want to do some history or you want to learn a little bit more about my boring life? Or <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm curious of, number one, I think people would want to know, because the thing to me that defines the area is just the size of it. And when I'm hunting it, you get out in the middle of it and you feel like, you could walk for days and not get out of water is the feel you get out there. So maybe just kind of the size of it, um, kind of how it works and then a little bit of the history too. Okay. Uh, we have 19,857 acres that, that wildlife and parks actually owns, uh, of the bottoms. The, uh, the basin itself is about 41,000 acres total. So if it was all full of water or what they consider the, the Cheyenne bottoms basin is 41,000 acres. A lot of that doesn't get flooded very often. Um, the Nature Conservancy also owns an additional 8,000 plus acres in our area. But like I said, I'm responsible for managing the, the, the Cheyenne Bonds wildlife area itself. Um, and, you know, some of our big pools, I'm looking at my map over here to remind me, uh, like Pool 2 itself is over 3,200 acres, which uh, is bigger than most, than a lot of other wildlife areas that we have, uh, mm -hmm. especially uh, our some of our some of the uh, our smallest pools are you know you could put all the water in some of the other duck areas uh, throughout the state in one of our smallest pools alone. So you know the, the uh, we're a pretty big area, and right now you know we have water stretched out across the whole thing. So um, some of the history, and I don't know how far back you guys want to go, but uh, it's kind of thought as ge geology-wise the way it was formed, it was a uh, salt sink. So uh, underwater, uh, underground water eroded some of the salt beds that are found underneath the bottoms, and that created the basin, created a, a big sink. Uh, There's a couple creeks that end in the bottoms, which naturally got uh, how the water flowed in, into here. So 
Um, there's Blood Creek, Deception Creek, and a couple other small drainages that end in Shine Bottoms itself. Um, it's kind of got a unique history of trying to be developed. Uh, initially, there was it was trying to get developed for uh, drained for farming purposes, uh, and then in the late 80s or late 1800s, sorry, uh, there was a attempt to make it into a, a Grand Reservoir Lake Company tried to uh they actually were the first ones to dig a ditch from the arkansas to uh to here to try to uh bring water in so they could have a recreational lake here of course it was heavily uh that ditch was actually completed in 19 1898 and then uh the company actually went bankrupt in 1903 uh it was heavily involved with the market hunting days of, of waterfowl uh during world war uh two it was used as a bombing range uh, it's been used as a uh, coursing club, uh, the, one of the first uh, Kansas coursing clubs where they ran greyhounds and uh, jackrabbits was just north of the, uh, the headquarters here. Um, so it's kind of got a unique history. And then uh, I'm, I'll, I got some PowerPoints pulled up to remind me of my notes. So um, then uh, in the late 1930s, there was a, the Pittman Robinson Act was uh, Robertson Act was enacted, uh, and that what it is is excise tax on uh, sporting arms and ammunition, which is still in effect today. And each state was given a, a share of those excise tax based on the number of hunting licenses that were sold. And then, so one of the first projects that Kansas did with that money uh, was buy start purchasing Cheyenne Bottoms, um, and that started in 1942. Uh, it was partially open to the public in 1952, and then the, the original dedication ceremony was October 13th of 1957. So that's when it was actually everything was complete. And a lot of the infrastructure that you see today, especially some of the uh, exterior, the, the main dikes and stuff, the main roads and stuff that people travel on were, were built in the 1950s, as well as all the diversions in, in which we get water from. Like I said earlier, it encompasses 19,000. Well, over 19,000, almost 20,000 acres that we have here that we manage. Um, that um, one thing that I want to kind of, we've been dry all summer um, and people worried that there wasn't going to be a duck season for here. Um, but then we uh, recently got a lot of rain, but every time the, we'd get a sprinkle here, people were watching their apps on their, their, uh, phones and they call in hey how much range you get Did you fill up and it's like no 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 <laughs> it takes a lot of water to fill us up um so one thing i kind of wanted to educate people on is how we actually get our water so we do have some a uh, couple creeks that that run and end into pool two of the bottoms blood creek deception creek and shock creek but we get some direct runoff from the hillside but the way we get a lot of our water we have um, water rights from the arkansas river the wet walnut, dry walnut. Uh, so we divert water, take a series of dams that we divert water into one drainage and then another, and then a, then the, ultimately the wet walnut, and that diverts water into us. So that's how we get uh, a lot of our water. Historically, that's how we, they almost got all their water. They dump all the water out uh, early in the spring, and then they had enough water available to fill it back up, but because of irrigation, now we do not fulfill a lot of our water rights, so we uh, we don't get that's not as reliable of a water source as it once was. It back up until probably about the late seventies or so. But we do so we do still rely on uh, direct runoff from rainfall. So so um, backing up a little bit, uh, when were the concrete blinds put in there? Oh. Uh, those probably were part of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, somewhere in through there. Because my, my dad was hunting it, and he started hunting in 1965. And I know that the blinds were still heavily used at that time. And he has all these stories of make guys wait at a gate. And mm -hmm. Opening day would be on the gate, and they'd open that gate for people to go and get assigned blinds. And it was like just a stampede of people running, falling down, jumping over each other. They've got some wild stories, but now people don't use those blinds anymore. Not, 
like these are toilet. Yeah, they actually used to have to, when they to check into the bottoms. Uh, if you were wanted a blind, you had to come in and you, they would actually take your hunting license, and you would not get it back until you checked out for that day. So everything was was by assignment only. So in that that big rush of people, there was always fist fights and everything that I always heard about. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was like four o'clock in the morning. The the gate mm-hmm. would open up and there'd be a mass stampede, so everybody get the blind that they wanted. Um, they used to have lids on them where they had to get a key as well and check in and out. And also they used to have to check in the uh, uh, compartments out on the uh, firing line, the goose hunting zones. And then uh, there was anything beyond those blinds uh, was just kind of a free for all. So they were still yeah. able to hunt outside the blinds as well. But the blinds were definitely the way people hunted all the time back then. Well, I'm, I'm glad it's no longer a sign because I love getting out there. We've got an 18 footer and then we've got layout boats. And sometimes we'll put our layout boats on top of it, go clear way out there, offload the layout boats and just go into the middle of it, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. so much fun just exploring and feeling just enveloped by all this massive size of water that yeah. there's not, there's nothing like it atmosphere wise that I've ever experienced in my life yeah. hunting. There's just nothing like it. Yeah. Jordan, should we do move on to this or that or something? Or what do you want to do with it? Let's go ahead and jump to this or that. So uh, the way it works is just you got to pick between the two and we'll run some slides for it. So we'll hop to the first one. Yeah, and we'll still we'll still come back for some more of the topic as well. Okay. Um, and the, we... the first one is uh, kind of the biggest issue you have um, on Cheyenne Batum. So would it be uh, skybusters or overcrowding? I, I probably skybusters from what I could tell. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're both they're both issues at times. Uh, the overcrowding is is usually just on the big weekends, the openers and stuff. After that, it kind of dwindles off. But skybusting is is, is very much a an issue out here where uh, people need to learn to um, estimate range a little bit, a little bit better. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and for the. For the the live listeners, uh, Elliot's putting these in the um, chat per usual. So just go ahead and click on that link, and you can vote along with us. Um, if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes or wherever else, um, we post them ahead of time on Facebook, so you can check them out in the Fellowship of the Duck Gun. If you want to vote ahead of time on these, yeah. Um, if you're listening to this, go ahead and come over and join us on Facebook. Um, people love doing these polls. We have lots of conversation going on. So Fellowship of the Duck Guns is a a great facebook group yeah you know it's one you know i've joined several of the facebook groups and stuff like that you know it seems like every day there's a couple discussions on what choke tube long range choke tube do i need for for this gun and that gun and it's just it has me scratching my head i mean i put in an approved cylinder at the beginning of season um and i very rarely need anything more than an approved cylinder except for maybe if i'm shooting pheasants late in the season my improved does not come out. Uh, I don't understand the the long range shooting. If you shoot uh, good ammunition and if you're uh, skilled with a shotgun, you sh- I don't see a need for for shooting beyond what an improved cylinder with steel shot can do. So, so with your improved opinion. cylinder, what what would you say would be your maximum range that you'll pull the trigger at? Then can't be that far. I'm still shooting geese at 50 yards. Really at 50? I. Sh- I don't know if, if we're supposed to I shoot heavy metal. So a lot of yeah. times, but, but yeah, we don't have any issues with, with dropping birds that far. And g- generally speaking, I don't even attempt shots that far at all. Yeah. It's just not my style. If they're not feet down in the decoys, I usually try not to shoot them <laughs> or, or even attempt to, cause I, that's just my style. So. Yeah. Yeah. We've had the, we've got this ongoing conversation through all the episodes about, full choke versus modified and and the how many people are wanting to shoot full chokes and even kind of the running dialogue that a lot of people are starting to say of well you know full choke is better even inside 25 yards because i want them to die when i pull the trigger which i don't agree with that comment at all i think yeah. mathematically it just doesn't make sense but it's really interesting to see see here you bring that up because that's been an, yeah. in fact i just talked to pattern master um ceo today and he's going to come on and we're going to talk to him a lot about just the specifics mm-hmm. and the mathematics of this stuff which is going to be and, really fun and i have shot pattern master 
uh, in the past, you know, uh, and a lot of people I hunt with do as well. But uh, for my gun and, and the load, like I said, uh, the load that I that I shoot, uh, that's what works for me, and it holds a really tight pattern. And, and I actually, after I, I started shooting, I always used modified in the past, and it just seemed like I wasn't had. You know, I got a new shotgun, and I wasn't shooting consistently, so I went and patterned everything. And and man, that improved cylinder for for that that gun and that ammunition that I shoot, it, it seems it, that's what, that that's what works for me. So, nice. but you know, every, every, every situation is different, but I really never have seen a, a use for a, a long range. All you do is cripple birds. It seems like, or yeah, loose birds. Jordan, do we have a question about chokes in this, this, or that? Yep. Yeah. Okay. We'll then I'll save some other comments. <laughs> <on that. laughs> <laughs> All right, and for the um, listeners, the final tally on that was 65 for sky busting and 35 for overcrowding. Jump to the second one, and this one has to do with the motorized and non-motorized pools. Uh-huh. And, and so um, how, how would you phrase this, Elliot? I would say, um, as a manager, what do you prefer? Or I'd say, do you wish that you could have more primitive pools less primitive pools do you prefer one versus the other <laughs> um here i get this question all the time you know people are always asking are you going to limit mud motors are you going to limit horsepower noise re- noise restrictions make it all walk in you know electric my argument against all of that is we have the largest interior wetland in the united states is right here at Cheyenne Bottoms. There are lots of duck areas that are way smaller than us that, that have it wide open. The other, my other argument is waterfowl regulations are complicated enough, and we are losing a lot of hunters every year. We do not get return, and I think it's because the complication of a lot of our regulations anymore. Whatever happened to just going out and enjoying yourself, going out and hunting, uh, the way you want to hunt, not the, don't worry about the way the guy 300 yards away is hunting, worry about how you hunt and enjoy your hunt for what it is. Um, that's my mentality. Uh, you know, like I said, waterfowl regulations are, are very complicated to begin with. They change annually, you know, like right here, if I go a couple miles to the North here, I'm in the late zone or a couple miles South, I'm in the late zone. So you got to know where you're at. Uh, bag limits change season days. I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, and I'm going to try to keep it as consistent as possible, too. So 3A has always been closed to motorized boats. Other than that, there are areas out here that I guarantee you a boat will never get to because uh, I have found them uh, walking and then through uh, disking cattails and stuff, especially the last couple of years. Um, there are lots of areas that are open water that people never probably knew that they were there. I didn't know that they were there. Um, until all of a sudden I'm driving a tractor and all of a sudden you're like, well, I knew there was ducks landing back here, but now I see that there's openings all in those cattails that you could tell just nobody ever hunted in there. Cause you could tell when people hunt because you see the red shells all through the scattered yeah, everywhere. Unfortunately. So, yeah. Which goes to my point about just, I'm trying to convey to people how massive Cheyenne Bottoms is and especially you feel it to say, I find places in the season that people haven't hunted. I mean, that's, and it's a wide, there's no, I don't know if there's a tree in there. It's just like, it's a prairie marsh, just totally mm-hmm. flat and wide open. So, but yet still places to be found. That is incredible. That sounds like yeah. an awesome place. It is. I'm, I'm from yeah, Indiana, so I've never been there. So <laughs> I'll like have to said, add, I, add it to my bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's quite the incredible place. And I understand the whole, you know, wanting to restrict uh, motors and stuff, but you know, it's, a lot of times it's not the motor's fault. You know, sometimes it's the users that are doing it. And I keep a close eye on on it. I I spend more time than anybody else, and I really don't see it being as big of a problem as as some people are relaying it to be. Um, although, you know, it it happens to all of us where we have bad experiences and stuff. And all it takes is you walk away with one bad experience when you had. And you, that seems to be what you remember versus all the, the good experiences that you had throughout the, the year, you know, in the marsh. Yeah. So there's two non-primitive pools that you guys call them primitive pools, which means you can't take any kind of motorized boat on. There's the, one or two this year. There's one. It's just one. three. A. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But there's other ways that we could get around instead of additional regulations, we could get around, uh, 
motors uh, by manipulating our water levels as well. So yeah, yeah. All right, great. Let's let's go to the next one, Jordan. All right, for the the listeners, the final tally on that is motorized sixty three, non motorized thirty seven. Jump to the next one, and best food for ducks: flooded corn or flooded millet. Uh, is there a third option? If you smart, have one, <laughs> smart weed. Smart weed mm. would probably be my my third option. It would probably be the best option out of any of them. Flooded flooded corn uh, is great for late season mallards. It's great for if you have open water in January, December, and January, which we do not have here. Generally speaking, uh, the millet works great. The other thing about corn, a lot of times, if you flood it too early, you do not. Uh, it does not stay stay uh, viable or stay. Uh, where the ducks prefer it as long, especially, especially we'd have to flood it really early and it's going to sit in the, in the water and it's probably going to be rotten by the time the ducks would actually need it. So smart weed and millets and other native uh, plants, annuals that we have in the marsh, uh, their seed will be, will be good food throughout the whole season and into even next spring as well when they start migrating back to the north. That food is still going to be usable, whereas corn would not. So that's why I would. And like I said, smart weed is probably um, the best that we have out here. It's probably the, the ribeye steak of the duck foods that we have out here. And the best thing to do uh, with, with millet, we could plant millet one year. It worked, this works just awesome. And I, we're going to be doing a lot more of this in the future. We plant millet one year. So the, where we have millet this year will come up to smart weeds next year. Where we had millet last year is nothing but chest high smart weed this year. So. They kind of work really great together. That smart weed gets overgrown. I live on the eastern side of the state now, and, I, and mm-hmm. I've been out here about seven, ten years. And just now, some of the complexes out here are starting to plant a lot of corn where they never have in the past. So I'm going to be interested to see the outcome of that because um, they've just never done it before, and all of a sudden, it's like they're they're playing with it a lot. So, the the I mean, constituents, yeah, our constituent base, our hunters really like to see corn. It's, I'm saying that I'm not saying that's something that we're not going to play with here in the future if the timing is right and stuff, but um, that's not something that I. Uh... Nope. Do we lose him? Sorry, I don't know what just happened here. Okay, we got him. We got. Him. We got your audio. We don't catch your video. Uh, hey, at least we got the audio. Let's go ahead and keep rolling. Okay. On yeah, we'll keep rolling. All right. For the listeners, uh, final tally on that, flooded corn, 58, uh, flooded millet, 42. Jump to the next slide. Best time of the year for public land hunting, late season or early season? Uh, early season for here is where I would say it really shines. Now, when you say early, you mean... Like October and half into November, or what's kind of the difference there between like October and November? And you guys shut down about mid December, right? Yes, yeah. Um, it, it, early season is when you will get your uh, your variety of ducks. Um, and we, you know, anytime after November first week or second week of November, you always risk uh, getting frozen out here. So that's always a, a possibility that you you fight with. But uh, I would. Uh, I, lo- I love that October, November time frame when you could go out and shoot four or five different species of ducks. And the pintails in there at that time are yeah. outstanding too. Yep. Yep. We had one day out there, I saw more pintails. Just my dad and I in the middle of this pool. Couldn't see anyone else around us. And man, it was just wave after wave after wave of pintail flying over us. So we couldn't get any of them to decoy, but it, it was a yeah. show, man. It was a show. Awesome. For the listeners, late season was 76. Early season was 24. Next slide. And this kind of goes back to our earlier discussion with the choke tubes and uh, (laughs) modified or full. (laughs) Neither. (laughs) Improved. (laughs) Uh, If I have to pick one of those two, it would be modified for me. Uh, But like I said, I I tend to switch to improved cylinder and just pretty much keep it in throughout the season. Jordan, what are you are you doing modified? Is that what you're doing this year? Yeah, right? I've done modified. Um, I've tried all three last 
last season, but um, I'm, I think I'm the best off with modified. <laughs> I've got a, maybe you can help me with this, Jason. So I typically go improved fours, um, just like a federal speed shot or whatever that it's called during teal season and then through October. And then as I start seeing Mallard show up, I will switch over to like a modified and a two. I went out and just patterned. Oh, so this year we got sixes because Rogers was out of the the fours. And I went out and patterned these sixes um, with my modified. And the pattern size with those sixes to me just seemed outstanding. Um, So you use modify or improve so much, even though I kind of like the look of it. You think with sixes and teal, I'd be better off to stick what I'd been doing with the improved for teal. I always, that's what I shoot improved cylinder fives or sixes on teal. Okay. That's, okay. that's pretty much all. I, and then, then I, then, uh, for the, uh, two and three quarter or three inch. And then, uh, I shoot pretty much three inch number fours throughout duck season. And then, uh, for geese, I shoot nothing but, uh, three and a half inch number twos. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll do that. I, it's been about two or three years in a row. I've been doing that improved and I've shot, over 50% um, the last, all during those teal seasons, which is mm-hmm. teal can be kind of tricky. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll stick with the improved then. And for the listeners on that one, 78 for modified and 22 for full. So back to, I guess, the, the main heart of the podcast. Um, which topic do you want to jump to next, Elliot? I can tell you what a lot of people are going to want to hear about because this has been the biggest gripe fest on the forums for the past two years and that's cattails at the bottoms and i know this has been a problem for years and years can you just talk a little bit about the cattail problem what causes it um how you guys have done what you've done to get a hold of the problem what your progress is on it okay i have always said that uh the cattails aren't the problem they're 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 not a, a problem at all they're a symptom of the problem and the problem uh stems from uh silt so we got uh constantly moving in water so and it kind of goes back to even when we were talking about when we bring in water we uh the only time that we have water to bring in from the wet walnut in the arc is when we have muddy water from heavy flood events so that comes in so then we're bringing in muddy water into the bottoms and settles out and then we have silt buildup. Uh, so that is the issue that we have there and then uh, the silt causes us the inability to move water. So if you can't move water off timely, uh, what you get is cattails coming in. So cattails <clears throat> will come in late in the summer, generally speaking, like right now. A lot, some of those areas that, that the pools drew down a little bit, uh, there's some seedling cattails coming back in there. Uh, they are a perennial plant, uh, rhizomes. They have a tremendous root system so that's the burden that we have is trying to get that root system exposed to either cold where it will freeze or uh hot dry conditions where where it will dry out so uh once we have get get that ability to move water back and we are slowly gaining progress the cattails will uh hopefully will have better control over the cattails themselves so by having some of the things that we are doing to even though it's not directly killing or disking cattails we are uh, digging out a lot of the ditches that you see you'll see our aquatic backhoe has been been utilized a bunch here, here recently and those ditches will allow water to better flow into our pump stations and then from our pump stations we can draw the water off and get in the pools a lot quicker um assuming that our pumps are working we're, we're struggling with the aging equipment um infrastructure etc some of our gates we couldn't even close or open so that was another struggle in itself but now that we've got little things that we're starting to get fixed it really starting to make a big difference so then kind of once we get a pool dry we have options uh burning it is uh burning cattails is uh, uh, dry standing cattails is the best thing to, that we could start off with as step number one is we have to have the right conditions to burn under. So we'll burn the cattails off. So then we could get in there and disc and burning actually will do nothing to a cattail other than uh, take the top off so we could get the disc in the ground a little bit better. Um, so then 
we have to repeatedly disc, disc, disc until cattails are dead. Like uh, pool five, for example, we disced it five to six times this year before we finally got the cattails under control in there. Um, now, pool five is that is that a refuge pool? Yeah, that's the refuge pool. Yeah, okay, we, so we, one, the ones and the fives are refuge, right? Yes, and, and the reason I chose five, um, if you look aerial photos, everything, it was the most choked with cattails it had maybe out of 1400 acres maybe 100 acres of it was open water so i felt like i started out the worst pool and uh, like i said we got it knocked out uh besides the 1400 acres that we did in uh uh five we did uh probably when we had aerial sprayed so far about 700 acres of cattails so we're also using aerial application uh with just a uh aquatic rated glyphosate uh to uh, help combat cattails and then the other thing uh, we continued to disc in other pools so i'm just trying to remember what uh, how much we pulled up uh we did about 500 acres in uh, 3b and about 100 acres or so in 4b uh, 1400 acres and five and then sprayed 700 acres so we got close to 3,000 acres of cattails controlled since last season because some of the pools it was just like i know two the cattails were just completely taking over you were at would you consider that to be kind of at emergency status with the cattails or can it get much worse than that even uh well i got aerial photos that that show too is way worse than what it is right now uh and i i remember hunting to when I was when I first started hunting out here said that a couple times it was way worse but two is one of those pools that we don't have any much control over the water we only have four pumps and actually two only two of them are working right now that allow us to pump pool two dry and it would take in the ballpark of three months to get pool two dry with wow. the pumps that we have and but we don't have any control of water coming in so like right now there's there's uh several hundred acre couple hundred acre feet a day coming in the back of two so it would be coming in faster than we'd be able to pump it out anyway so mm -hmm. okay. so um uh, you know that's kind of the the process i thought we made pretty good progress um some of the issues like i said aging equipment so when we do have everything right and we can go um get in a pool and, and work it work it it seems like every day we spend two or three hours fixing our equipment because it's getting old and run down uh so that's kind of, so you know i show up to work i'm like oh i'm gonna get a lot done today we're gonna hop on the tractor start disking and we hop on and 10 minutes later something breaks down so then we got to yeah. go get it repaired and stuff like that so that's a, a never-ending process in itself is uh is equipment repairs and stuff and we're not working our equipment in the best of conditions you know it's pretty pretty tough conditions that we work in so well it seems like from what i can tell the general consensus is that people are pretty happy with with everything that's been going on the last year and um things are going pretty well with your first so this is your first full year first yes. year yeah yes yeah. yeah i hired on uh, june of last year so yeah, June yeah. So everyone's everyone as far as I can tell seems to be pretty happy. So if you can keep most of the people happy, you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's something that uh I've you know, people disagree with and stuff, but uh like I said, we we really are trying and I uh, think we're making pretty good progress. So I was talking about a rundown equipment and uh rundown infrastructure and stuff that we have in this silt battle we got going on. So I, some of the the exciting news or good news that we got for Cheyenne Bottoms is is we are getting a new tractor and a new disc. Uh, that should be, we should have both of those hopefully by by January. And then we also just put in it for a $6 million grant to help with our silt and uh, problem, help fix some of our water control structures and do some renovations on our pump stations. We are looking at adding a pump station into two so we could actually go from draining pool two in three months to draining pool two in 20 days or so. Wow. Wow. That'd be great. Yeah. So that's, that's something exciting. Uh, you know, like it seems like a Neosho just went through a big renovation. McPherson has been going through a renovation, Jamestown, all these mm -hmm. duck parks and stuff, you know, it's, it's, 
you know, there's a life expectancy on everything. And, and, uh, we're hope, you know, 1994 was the last big project that happened out here, the renovation. So a lot of this stuff hasn't been changed since then. And some of this, uh, infrastructure stuff that, that I'm dealing with is almost original. So. I don't know if there's been an influx of money coming to the state or what, but it seems like the last four years or so, everywhere around the state managers are being a lot more aggressive with the renovations and even planting and working it, just as far as it seems like people are being more aggressive to me, well, which I love. Uh, what, what had happened was uh, Obama was a really good gun salesman and a lot of people went out and bought a lot of guns and ammunition. <laughs> and that, that Pittman Robertson act that I was talking about, we got, there's a lot of money available through, through um, the uh, sport fish restoration or, wildlife and sport fish restoration program through the Pittman Robertson money. So we are getting a, sorry, the office phone's been ringing off the hook all day, but um, so we'll just work through this. But so the state as an agency has been getting a lot of inflow of money. So we have the match. So that's a 25, 75% match. We provide 25% of the funds. They provide 75% of the funds for these projects. So that we've been getting really aggressive. So we have a, a lot of money available that way. And then also Ducks Unlimited has been working through what's called the NACA grant program to also get a lot of these uh, projects funded as well. So uh, we, the state has been putting a lot of priority on, on wetlands and wetland management. So, yeah, there's there's been a lot going on. So, yeah, it's, it's a great thing. It's a great thing for us hunters, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Any other topics you want to hit hit up, Elliot, before we jump to Q&A? Um, I guess let's ask Jason that. Is there any, anything else that you wanted to kind of talk about that we haven't hit on? Um, a couple quick things. Do you guys want to do water levels and stuff? I could give you the most up to, up to date on what we got going on. Yeah, yeah. Here. Give us water levels and kind of your um, forecast for – because teal season opens this weekend, if, if yes. your listeners don't know that. So, yeah, water levels and kind of numbers and how, your forecast. <laughs> okay. Uh, so our water level right now, like in storage 1A is our main storage pool. We have 47 inches in there. Uh, 1B and C, we have 17 inches of water in those. And those are what we use to flood the hunting pools. Uh, pool 2 has 8 inches right now, and it's currently rising. Pool 3A has 4 inches and is uh, kind of staying stable right now. 3B is has about 10 inches and is coming up uh, still. 4A has 4 inches. 4B has 3, and it's going to come up. It's still coming up quite a bit. And then pool five has 18 inches. So in the long run, um, boating access is going to be somewhat limited right now uh, until we kind of finalize what, how much water we got and how much where I could put it all. So uh, boating pools are going to be uh, 3B and, and 2 at the time. And then everything else is going to – I'm going to uh, – 4B could probably, could probably – by the time I'm done with it, we'll, we'll run a, a boat in there as well. So – um, so by the opener on the 13th of October, do you anticipate all those numbers to um, be up from, from where they're at now? Well, the, the one thing I, uh, with 3A, I kind of want to keep it low. Uh, we sprayed it, all the cattails in there, so I want to get those burnt off sometime. So if I keep the water a little bit low right now, um, it may give me the opportunity to burn it. So that's one pool I'm still up in the air about what exactly I'm going to do. That one in 4A as well. Those are my, my low-hanging fruit at this moment to where I could get in there and do some aggressive cattail control again. So uh, those two, I'm up in the air. Everything else is probably going to go up, yes, by especially by the duck opener. So la last thing before we start the Q&A, yes or no, was the waterfowl season saved by the last five days of rain? Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's uh, what yeah. everyone really wants to know. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, like I said, twelve hours made a world of difference, and uh, yeah, the duck, the the ducks, uh, the teal have shown up. So. Awesome. so, people are gonna. There's gonna be a lot of birds killed on the opener. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be bloody. I think uh, there's and, <laughs> and it's not just here. You know, all the other all the little uh, fields, all the pastures and stuff. There's so much water around here. Uh, there's ducks sitting everywhere right now. Not just, Good like I said, just out. not not on us, just everywhere around. There, There's teal everywhere. So. Great news. Sounds great to me. Yep. 
All right, let's go ahead and jump to the questions. If you guys got any, go ahead and drop them. Um, while they're doing that, let's go ahead and Jason, let people know where they can uh, follow what you guys got going on at Shine Bottoms, um, social media, wherever you guys can be found at. Um, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a big tech guy, so the social media is kind of limited. Uh, we have a website that we update, uh, a waterfowl report, uh, ksoutdoors.com. Uh, you go to uh, click on a link about hunting, where to hunt or do a search for Cheyenne Bottoms, there'll be a waterfowl report. I update that. Usually try to update that every Thursday. We also have uh, some a hotline, a 24-hour hotline that people could call in and get pretty much the same information I have on my website. But uh, the, uh, the hotline phone number for people that uh, want to know – actually, I don't have it handy. Sorry. I'll get that to you. Hold on one second. I, I sound like an idiot. I don't even have my own phone number, right? Uh, <laughs> no one does that. 620-793-7730 would be the hotline. So, uh, like I said, I try to update that every 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 Thursday or so of, of waterfowl season. All right. And let's go ahead and Jonathan ask – what equipment do you use to cut access paths into the marsh? Um, what we have done in the past is we have a Terex, a, a skid steer that we'll mow. If it's dry, we'll also just uh, go in there with the uh, with a regular batwing mower and on a uh, tractor. The other thing that we uh, are looking at purchasing is called the Marsh Master. It's basically an aquatic skid steer that we'll be using in the future. Hopefully in the future, that's part of that $6 million grant to, to mow, mow in there. But mostly that's done with that ski, with our skid steer that we have. All right. Jeffrey asks, is there any way to economically put a filter system to filter out the silt before it gets into the pools? One thing we are doing is we're going to look at uh, in our inlet system is looking at uh, possibly doing some baffles. But uh, one of our gates at the end of our, our inlet canal um has uh is 18 inches higher than than grade so it kind of acts as a silt trap right now um initially thought it was a mistake but it's actually it helps out quite a bit but uh a lot of this silt has been in the system forever and it's just uh getting moved around a lot by by wind right now but uh economically no without having to tear down everything and and starting over it's kind of a struggle all right, and Eric asks, thanks for doing this. In the future, what is the plan for implementing more food for the birds? Uh, I think once we start getting our cattails under control and we start uh, regaining the ability to move water, that's going to allow for the food to follow. So a lot of people you know, want to see the, the planted food, the millet, the corn, and stuff like that, the natural food that we have available here under the right conditions is just tremendous and uh once we start getting the cattails and everything else under control the food will definitely follow so it's it's it works hand in hand with what we're doing right now and matthew asks is there a fee to hunt the bottoms and also he asks is it a free-for-all now or is there a draw for spots there's no fee the only thing that uh, is required is people to use iSportsman to log check in and out uh, and it's that's a free free app on your uh free call free download free everything uh and then there's it's a free for all out here so come and go uh, there's no limitations on when you can hunt out here there's uh you can hunt as long as there's legal shooting hours which i want to remind everybody is 30 minutes before sunrise to sunset <laughs> that that's one of the issues that we have out here is that people tend to uh, go before and after the legal shooting hours. So mm. All significantly right. before, <laughs> significantly before. Yes. But I think probably what gets broke more, you know, five minutes or so, you know, people's watch are set different, but, uh, you know, there's times when it was 50 minutes before sunrise last year when I was out hunting. But the thing that probably gets broken more that people don't realize is legal shooting hours for birds in Kansas ends at sunset. And I probably heard more shots grossly after sunset than I did before legal shooting hours in the morning last year. 
So those birds get smart and they start coming in right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I know it's tempting, but can't do it. Nope. Curtis, so enjoy watching them. Yeah. Curtis asks, for a first-time bottoms hunter this weekend, would you recommend bringing anything like a cack or something, or should we be okay with walking in? Uh, I, I would walk in. Probably would be perfectly fine. Most. But there's pretty good bottom where we haven't dissed and stuff. So I, that's where I, how I do most of my hunting is, is walking in. And uh, a lot of people, I uh, like myself, we use sleds or a little decoy, something to put, you know, stash your stuff in. So that's about what the, the minimum that you would need. Gotcha. But, you know, everybody, if you got a kayak, it doesn't hurt. Sometimes rowing out there makes a difference. So. Yeah, you can get way out there with those little boats too. I yeah, mean, you can yeah. really kind of get past. Some guys will walk forever, but most yeah. walk-in guys have kind of a limit. Yeah, to, to how far they want to go. Yep. All righty. Well, I think that concludes the Q and A portion. So, thanks, Jason, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to have you over on our Facebook group, Fellowship of the Duck Guns. It's uh, the thing I love about Facebook groups is that it's actually your name on there. So you don't get all of the BS that you get on the forums because people are anonymous on the forums. And mm -hmm. on Facebook groups, they're not. So yeah, I think it's it actually, uh, I, uh, look, when I was looking into this, I actually, I think I'm pretty sure I joined your guys' group as well. So great. Great to yeah. have you over there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate the opportunity. Maybe we could, like, a, before i think on the phone maybe we can have this a, a yearly deal where i could give an update right before season you know something like this in the future sure and if you if you're interested we could also do because you guys close um a little earlier than other zones you're always welcome to come on and do kind of a post-year wrap-up to how things went plans going forward i think people would be really interested in that as well if you're interested yeah yeah maybe a january february time frame would be sure would be good absolutely absolutely awesome well that's all we got for tonight and uh thanks everybody for joining us and we see we'll see you guys next time and that's a wrap folks thanks again for joining us and sticking with us through another episode of the duck gun podcast really appreciate each and every one of you guys tuning in week in week out can't say it enough guys the duck gun podcast community would be nothing without having awesome listeners joining us every week so anyways guys that's all we got duck season is here at the time that you guys will be listening to this we got till hunts we got videos coming out on youtube make sure to check us out on there that's all we got folks and we'll see you guys next time let's go